Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at B'nai Torah Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun, a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today's podcast is the most important, essential, critical, long-lasting skills needed for kindergarten and for life. Hello, parents out there. We are here to ease your stress, settle your anxiety, and reassure you of what matters most in the early childhood years. And as one grandparent said to me this week, what matters most in life? We are here to talk about what makes social-emotional skills more important than academics for successful kindergarten, school, and life in general. I have a much admired and celebrated group of educators at the square table with me. I'm pretty sure we all care about academic excellence, children reaching their fullest potential, and students being academically challenged. But We also want to explain why focusing on academics alone without the complementary social-emotional skills is destined to fall short of our highest goals. I am happy and excited to welcome Stephanie Englander from Donna Klein Jewish Academy and from B'nai Torah Congregation, Naomi Gordon from our very own Ruth and Edward Taubman Early Childhood Center, and Alana Lippman, parent, teacher, and librarian who first posted the article that inspired this conversation. I'd like Stephanie to kick off the discussion by starting with the kindergarten perspective, helping us to understand what matters and why as kindergartners begin their first big school experience. Hi, Stephanie. Hello. Thanks for uh, having me join the group. Um, When I think of kids starting kindergarten, I think about all the changes in their environments and building a new community and all the learning that's ahead and some of the pressures that face them right off the bat from their families and from their teachers and from their school. And I think that in order for them to be ready to learn, they need to be able to really tackle the emotions that go into all of those pieces. And so... What are those emotions when you see those little faces coming in to school? I I think um, the change ahead, I think the unexpected, I think the expectations that people look to them. And so I think just... Having them know themselves, be able to identify their emotions, be able to uh, talk to people and go to people with their emotions and the emotions that they deal with with each other as they build a new community with new expectations together. I mean, we want to get into the brain development. We want to get into that whole idea of how do we use our best learning skills, our executive function, if we don't feel safe, secure, trusted, and ready for this big new environment. Absolutely. And, and all of that newness is just, can be really, really overwhelming. And we just sort of think, oh my gosh, let's just send them on their way with a full backpack and they'll be ready to go. Alana, you picked the article. 
as a parent and as a teacher, why did it speak to you? Um, I think it spoke to me. I mean, I've always been a believer, and obviously I want my own children, any child that's ever been in my class, of course I want them to be academically ready for kindergarten. And I've primarily taught pre-K, junior kindergarten, so I'm very familiar with that age. But on the other side of it, academics are very important, and I think all of that matters. I also think a child who, like Stephanie said, this is a brand new community. You're you're leaving this bubble, as we like to call it at B'nai Torah, the bubble of, you know, the B'nai bubble, and you're going off to whether it's public or private school, and you should have those tools, you know, in your toolbox, and how can you use them? How can you utilize them? How can you communicate with friends, teachers, all these new people who are going to be coming into your life and having these expectations? And you know, it, there's, it's like a two-sided, it's a two-sided issue. You know, you want them to be academically ready, but how much more do academics matter more than being emotionally ready and being able to tackle those feelings and all that newness? And I know Stephanie has given me a million examples over the years of children coming into kindergarten who were academically prepared, but who then end up stuck in a, what's the right answer? Where's my spot? How do I say the right thing? Do the right thing? Fit in the box. That's all emotion. I mean, that's, that's, that that's plays happens, into emotions. That's what happens when you don't cultivate. No. And, the, and the phrase that Stephanie taught me 10 years ago was voice and choice. It is what we practice here from babies through pre-K. How do I let children know that, that they can articulate their needs, their desires, they can help me understand how to connect the dots to help them grow, learn, and thrive. Mm-hmm. And there's so much. And, and I want to just throw in one more thing, and then I'll, I'll, I'll just pass the intro on to, to Naomi. But it's, and as you were saying, um, when, we, when, we, when we're loving them in pre-K, we can't just think, oh, now they're going to big school. Now they're going to kindergarten. And all the rules shift and change. I just heard the Harvard EduCast, the podcast from Harvard School of Education, and they said, what's the most important thing? Love those kids. Because if you feel that that love, safety, security, and everyone's seen the Israel teacher on Facebook who said, by believing in these children, I could show them something that other people told them they couldn't do. Um, But okay, so let's go to Naomi. What does social-emotional foundations, learning, skill-building mean to you as you envision creating the most optimal environments for preschoolers? So this is really exciting to me because I am 100% in on this as well, and I did see your article as well. I believe character development and emotional readiness is the most important skill that we can give these little children. And they come here, they come to you when they're just born. And they're learning from the day they come to you until the day they go to the next level, kindergarten. But if we don't get them emotionally ready, then we fail them. They really need that emotional stability. They need to be able to assimilate. They need to be able to regulate. They need to be able to negotiate. How do I work with a child who may have a special need that has their hands everywhere? Do I just go running home to mommy or do I, at the age of four, understand that maybe their hands are different than mine? Giving that child and you're the, talking about their peer having their peer. the yes. yes yes giving that child the toolbox to love all the other children around them for who they are and maybe even help them when they get there and then something as simple as going to kindergarten and having to use the bathroom 
is such a big skill. And if you can't manage that skill, it will interfere Mm -hmm. with reading, literacy, numeracy, science, all of the other academics. If you're in fight or flight response in your brain, you are preoccupied with your own emotional stress and chaos rather than the ability to receive and engage in those academic experiences. Exactly. And so a child who is unable to express themselves or unable to self-regulate, they can't learn. They cannot learn. There's no way that they can learn. Okay. I want to go somewhere else before we go on to the list of skills that were in the article. But when you use the phrase emotional readiness, and I'm going to pass it Again, I, I say I'm not going to manage the conversation, but of course I do. I um, I'm going to start with <laughs> Naomi because it's what triggered it in what you had just said, and then I'm going to hit everybody at the table. You talked about emotional readiness. I'm imagining some parents out there that hear that, and they think of it as coddling, bubble wrapping, protecting, and that's versus resilience and challenging. And so I, I want to talk about what, the, what emotional readiness means. I mean, you said to handle conflict with my peers, mm-hmm. to handle vo- expressing my physical needs when I might feel alone and wrong. So let's talk about, it's not just Oh, honey, I love you, even though I used that word before. Oh, honey, you're safe. This is not, this is a loving environment, but it's also a skill building environment. So, describe a little bit more about emotional intelligence. Yes. So, a child who um, feels really good about themselves, feels, understands their, their being, understands who they are, can, and has great self esteem, self esteem. Did that did that come from people telling him he was great? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Because that child felt good about what they were doing because they did it themselves. So that goes into so much of our learning process here at B'nai Torah and, and process, even down to our, I'm going to get off topic a little bit, but even down to our process art. Giving child paper and paint and glue and and letting them risk take (laughs) exactly letting them risk take and be excited about what they're doing and not looking up to the teacher and saying am I doing it right and I'm not saying that we don't redirect them when they aren't understanding how to do something because we do that's part of our teaching skill that's part of how we do it but giving them opportunities to succeed and opportunities to learn that they don't always succeed and how to get through those opportunities. So when they go to kindergarten and they have to read those first words that they may not have learned along the way, that it's something exciting and new and not something challenging and something they can't do, but something that they're going to learn how to do and and succeed, if not on the first try, when they try, try, try again and they feel good about it. And I'm passing it to Stephanie. I don't, I'm sure you have a ton to say, but I also want to just give you the credit of you're the one who told me, Karen, we are talking about raising innovative learners for a future that we cannot give them right answers or specific skills for. These children who are in, in my mommy and me now, those are we're talking about 2040, 2045. What will that world look like? Stephanie, back it, to... Yep. When I, you know, to add on to the risk-taking, I think coming to kindergarten is a risk. 
every moment is a risk because it's unknown. And until the routines are established, until you understand the expectations, it's all risk-taking. So I think when I think about early childhood and I think about the world that we yet you know, don't know what it looks like and what the expectations are and what success is going to be defined, which I think is going to be very different, I think it's about making kids comfortable being uncomfortable in some ways. And, and parents, too. And parents, too. And um, and I think it's about the conversations that we have. And as a kindergarten educator, I think there's this standard set of questions that you might ask your students or that you might ask your children when they come home from school. And I think we need to start thinking about shifting the questions we're asking about their day and more process of process questions and the feelings about their experiences um, rather than just the, okay. the product. Okay, reveal, so, please. Reveal. <laughs> Tell us how those questions shift, because we can also support you by helping parents and children get familiar with a different way of interacting in their world I mean, now. I think it's a lot about asking their thinking rather than their doing, and I think it's a lot about asking about their feeling rather than... I know that we aren't going to give anybody a script, no, but some right, of us... We'll, we'll have to come up with that together. Okay. So. <laughs> I, I mean, Stephanie literally just said exactly what I was thinking while Naomi was speaking, and it kind of just, it really resonates with me as a parent, and, you know, obviously as a teacher, but more as a parent, because I'm going through that right now. I have a child who's going into pre-K and then off into the big world, which I can't even believe that's happening in the next year, but I think I have become in my parent role, so much more cognizant and aware of how I ask those questions at the end of the day. You and, do it. You do and, it because you start by meeting your children where they are. And I know I know my child, and I know what he needs, and I know that this topic is so... such a, There's such a spotlight on this topic in my life and what's going on with him right now. And, you know, Naomi knows this. And, you know, Nixon... Yes, Nixon is reading, and I think that's amazing. And I did not push that on him. He showed interest. I engaged it, and I went with it. But he needs to work on his, like I like to call it, I tell him all his little toolbox of how can we get through this problem? How can we navigate it without necessarily a temper tantrum, which there's nothing wrong with temper tantrums. And I tell him all the time, go ahead, cry. It's okay to cry. And that's another thing in our society as boys, like, you know, don't cry or don't show emotions or don't, how, you know, don't do... We are, and I can speak for my husband as well, we 100% tell him to cry. Like, you need to cry? Cry. Cry it out. I mean, it's going to make you, and maybe sometimes it's it's good for me. It's cathartic for me, so why wouldn't it be cathartic for him? Why wouldn't it help him get through it? So I think, like you said, it's a huge risk. You leave this amazing bubble to go to this unknown place where they're told, you're going to go to kindergarten. You're going to learn this. You're going to do this. It's so many. You're going to do all these things. And their little brains, it's... And if it's I, exciting, sure, but it's scary. And then as parents, we need to, you know, how do we appropriately, you know, help them make that transition without being, you know, pushing certain things that maybe we think are important, but to them it's not necessarily important yet. And to I think, check our own fear, yeah, to, to check, check our yeah. own anxiety. And if they see it, then it, you know. And that you have to be their advocates for 100%. every individual child who cannot fit that box as they're coming in Definitely. or leaving. And I also want to say, based on what you just said, is I, I want that red flag to pop up when you are in any programs or schools that say, and by the end of the year, your child will. 
I can't. I can't with that. I, I don't. I, it, it drives me nuts because it's like, how, how do you know? How disrespectful yeah. of yes. a child's child. journey. Yeah. How disrespectful of a child's strengths. How disrespectful. Now, I am. I'm very much a connect the dots person. I'm very much a start with strengths and expand. But I want each child to their individual potential. I don't want everybody coming out doing exactly the same no. everything by the it's like end of cookie anything. cutter. That's not how. I mean, that's not. That's not what it. It's not. That's not how it works. It's not know? learning. It's not learning. It's that's, not learning. That's pushing. That's it's pushing academics learning. or pushing whatever it may be. That's not learning. That's not giving the child to develop, flourish, and be who they are, as opposed to what the group should be doing. And that's. I, I will say, and I didn't realize I was going to be quoting this, but on that Harvard Educast, um, what they said is the difference between learning when it's that institutionalized, you know, checklist, accountability standards. I mean, we all have to play that game, manage that game. But, but what real learning is, soul craft. It is, mm-hmm. it is this mm-hmm. thing about a person and the person as a citizen and a member of a community, which you've all said. What I want to do is I want to read the five essential skills that came out of the article, and then let's talk about how we as individuals, as parents, as teachers, um, help children and help our world um, manage these social-emotional skills better. The five essential skills are play well with others, to be able to collaborate. Learning will change. Knowledge will change. And again, Stephanie taught me this. The minute you went into elementary, you said, Karen, break open, you know, all of those old stereotypes of how we think of learning being um, each child responsible and individual in their own sense of themselves. It is also about collaboration, looking at the resources around you. Um, So how well will they manage the conflict, the negotiation, um, that perfect word. Um, how to problem solve, you've both, you've all said that, um, but how that, what that means in social emotional and then what it means for academics. How to label and recognize feelings. Where we get tripped up in learning or in teaching by those emotions or the emotional struggles um, or the impatience um, what I see in that, when I think of labeling and recognizing feelings as our transition class in family time, and I have to beg parents, please, please, please give me space and time to support each child in this room on their personal journey. I will tell you that at the end of whether it's a two-month transition or a five-month transition, that all children are ready for school because in our school, we meet the children where they are and it's not about the child having um, to, to, to be a certain something. But I do need time. And parents often, uh, when I say, how much time will you give me? They're, they're usually so full of fear, anxiety, and stress that instead of giving me um, a half an hour or 10 minutes of feeling uncomfortable and distress, um, they will give me five minutes. And I'm like, no, no, I need more than that from you. So I actually have to ask for time and space for feelings for learning. Um, how to be helpful. Um, the other thing we know is the idea of education being community-based and that, um, and, and there's our other quote for the week, if we only teach empathy, if we only teach children to walk in another's shoes, to understand that perspective, then we are creating a brain process that will support them in every area of their life. 
and how to control impulses. Um, maybe that we could spend the whole podcast. <laughs> just <on that. laughs> All right, let's start with the one that needs the most time. How to control impulses as an essential skill. So I think with impulses, I, I think often parents and teachers just don't understand that I will hear a parent say to me, um, he won't, is he sitting at circle? I see he won't sit for 20 minutes. And I will say, but can he? There's such a difference between won't and can't and our expectations. And that grows with time. And as educators, we are always working. We're not looking to give them a time limit or, or a, a, time, a, a stop clock as to the learning process. The learning process ends when the child is not engaged anymore. So control. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, repeat it again. Repeat it again. The learning process ends Brilliant. when engagement yeah. <laughs> ends. So in order to control, we don't have control. That's number one. We have no control because the children don't necessarily have control over their impulses. So our job as educators is to engage them so much that they are so happy and so wonderfully um, excited about learning that those little impulses start to go away. And they learn that learning is fun and exciting and what they need it becomes their need because they're not worrying about their impulses okay but i think i want to go pass it to stephanie because i think the other piggyback on that is it's not just we create because there's a lot of new teachers that'll walk into a room with the whole dog and pony show right but what I want to point to Stephanie on for this, let's go to soft curriculum. Let's mm-hmm. go to how we create environment structure um, checks and balances on us and on them. I actually read my mind. I was... for, for, to, for, <laughs> right. to create success and the process. So one thing I was thinking of when Naomi was talking was um, teaching children to know what they need and how they learn. So something we've brought in and a lot of schools have brought in is flexible seating, wobble stools. and Because... Yeah. Because I need to move and wiggle, and again, that's where some people look at impulse and say you're not sitting nicely. Well, Mm -hmm. I might learn better rocking, or I may learn better kicking and bouncing my feet. So I think it's teaching the child to know what they need and what engagement looks like to them, and maybe you're better engaged if you are moving around. Okay, hold your thought, because we're coming right back to it, to the big picture, but I need to go to small picture, and that is self-esteem that we talked about 10 minutes ago, because what happens is if a child knows he needs to wiggle, kick, squirm, but he's been taught that that's not appropriate, that's not um, developmental, that's not how you're supposed to be, there's the chipping away mm-hmm. at the self-esteem. Not It's that idea of I have to know who I am, accept who I am, and get the support from parents, yeah. teachers, peers that says there is a place for me here exactly as I am, and they will help me become part of something different and bigger than myself even though I am a little bit quirky in myself. And that's, that's so important. Um, the other day I was in the hallway, and I heard a parent saying to their child, and I, and I kid you not, did you crisscross applesauce today? 
And I thought, and I'm looking around this table right now, and there's four of us sitting in so many positions, and nobody is judging any of us for whether our hands are on the table or our mm-hmm. legs are crossed. But or if you do this, sitting. I'm judging you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, so, it's, no, 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 So, so, but you know, the old-fashioned yes, yes, school yes. days are gone. Gone. Because we yeah. have learned that the child that sits in a chair crisscross applesauce and maybe doesn't have their feet on the ground can still write. And the child that has their feet on the ground may be very comfortable. But where we're comfortable as adults is acceptable. So why is that not acceptable for our children? So when parents are looking at schools, especially big school, because, well, I mean, I'm sure it happens in pre-Ks and early childhood programs, Mm -hmm. but big school, it's like, okay, now we're serious. What kind of understanding appreciation for schedule for um, routines, for for having, for you know, I'm thinking of hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Nobody's mm-hmm. learning if they're those four things, mm-hmm. and so and recess time and all of that. How how what are, what should parents want? Advocate for for their children. I, I think you need to know your child is the bottom line. I think you need to find as many. Good matches as possible. And I want to say there's a place for parent priorities, but the priority actually needs to be in knowing your child, Um, which is hard work. Which is, which is, and you know, it's interesting. Okay, I want you to do it from a a, a parent point of view. Yes. Okay. Please. Um, Yes, it's knowing your child. And I have three children, and they're all really different. And one, one way is not the way for all of them. And, you know, I think everyone jokes around, I've raised three kids in the same house with the same parents, but it doesn't add up the same. Of course it doesn't. And, um, I'm going to jump to, if I can, Please. if it won't mess you up, um, how to label and recognize your feelings, um, because there, there's my jump from being a parent. I think that what, how we as a parent might define, you used the word scared before, right? I'm scared they're starting kindergarten. What fear is to me is not what fear will feel like to my child. What worry and un- uncertainty oh, is to me, yeah. and I think that we really have to consider as parents now, and also as educators. But as a parent, when you're bringing your child into this new risk-taking, scary, overwhelming environment, and I suppose it's the same separating for the very first time in a in a family time class, as well as when you're transitioning to each year of more and more independence in early childhood. It's how do I define that emotion may be very different than how it feels and looks like to my child. And taking time, even when they're little, through observation and conversations and stories to get to the bottom of that so that you're making, you're presenting the right advocacy for your child. That yes. you're not saying what you think it is. And I, I, I will say, as as an early childhood person, a lot of times you have a conversation with parents about how they're feeling. And sometimes they're projecting that onto you. That's what their child is feeling. So it's doing that work with your child, I think, so is the really emotion, important. So the social-emotional intelligence starts right here, yep. every day, every with morning. With us, I, I was thinking that when they were speaking about the self-esteem is that as parents, I mean, I know as a parent, even though I'm also a teacher, I look... I look to the director, or I look to the teachers, I look to them for, I don't know everything. And I know we've had this conversation in past podcasts. I don't pretend to know everything about my child or children because, I, you know, I'm just one person who has my own experiences. And I now have two little people who I am responsible for and their future. And it scares me in the sense, when I say that, it scares me is that I, I mean, I love having my little babies. I love this age. I love preschool. Like, I love early childhood education. So for me, it's like they're leaving this little safe place to go to this big, 
It, I mean, we ha- we know what the world's like. We know what school is like, and they don't. So I think that's what scares me. Mm-hmm. But I do try my best to be aware of how I frame that for sure. my children. Because for one of your kids, yeah. it may not no. be scary. And I can already tell. <laughs> the thing is, I can already tell that. They, Casey's only 15 months. I can tell they are completely different children already. So that's 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 one thing. But I think, like I said, I look to teachers for that guidance and to help my child's self-esteem and all of these skills that we're discussing. And I, I don't pretend to be able to do it all. I want, and that's such an invaluable point because what we're talking about is that emotional comfort, emotional intelligence, emotional maturity of us as the grown-ups, whether we are the parent or the teacher. We don't know. Yeah. We, yeah. So what I want to ask you is about, and I always say when it comes when parents are opening to trusting teachers, especially their first teacher in the twos, or it, if yeah. it'll be even younger soon, then what's going to happen is how do I stretch my my personal collaboration and trust so that I can engage and articulate what my needs, concerns are with with the people that I'm now asking to part to partner with us in my child's education. So just explain that process if you can for, for your experience here. Um, and saying that I, even though I'm a smart educator and a really together mom, I am a partnership <laughs> with other people. Um, I think if I'm going to send my child to this school or any school, then I need to have trust in those educators or in that director and what direction everything is going. And I have to listen to them and I have to take what they're saying and utilize it in our lives, you know, do what they're doing here to, you know, reinforce it at home. And like, I don't know everything. And and I said that before is that I, it drives me insane when people say, well, you're a teacher, so you should know, or you should know how this behavior is. It's like, no, I, I don't. Every kid's different. Everything is different. Tell me just real quickly, uh, and, and, and because I think what I know about you personally is that you are an assertive, outgoing, uh, big voice mom and educator, and you are fearless if you have an issue to discuss with bringing it up. No. How do you take <laughs> no. that risk that says, yeah. let them know what I will say this because it is my genuine, authentic question whether that whether I am going to be judged for it ostracized for it not that anybody not that a not that a true school community would do that but but that idea of how are you prepared to take that mistake and have and and allow your voice to participate I think just like with anything in life especially with parenting you know it's all risks you take risks you say things that sometimes maybe some the next the person next to you doesn't agree with or the teacher or the director whoever it may be doesn't agree with but at the end of the day, instead, you are your child's advocate. Like you know your child the best. So if this is the risk that you need to take, and it might ostracize one person or ten people, it's you got to do what's best for your children, and you got to be their advocate because and you're even you're if the you first can't step trust to, that moment yeah. that it's all going to be okay. You trust the process that we are not done until we're done, and we will keep talking until it is healed fixed and 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 collaborated on so i'm piggybacking on all of you and one of the things that comes to mind i once met with a psychologist and we were talking about children and they told me that the biggest mistake we make as educators and as parents is is projection we project our feelings on our children so i actually just spoke with you about this the other day and i'll give you a scenario 
A mom comes to pick up her 18-month-old child. After leaving family time, she goes and she sits on the couches and she walks into your classroom and the child's very happy and as soon as she sees mommy, she cries. She's And the kid's like sobbing, tears, and the mother's like, what happened? What did you do? Why is she crying? Was she sad the whole time? And And the truth was is they could have been happy tears. The child could have been so excited to see her mommy that she just cried. We cry happy tears all the time. Why don't we allow for that for our children? We assume that that expression of tears and language, which you spoke of earlier, is always negative. So we project our feelings on our children. He's going to be scared. She's going to feel bullied. Um, she's going to love this because the teacher is amazing. And those are our feelings, but they are entitled to their feelings. And this is what we're trying to grow, is for them to be able to be strong. And one of the things that you have on your list that you had spoken about was how to problem solve. And um, often we will see um, people who will see two children and they'll be arguing over a ball. And, you know, Watch them argue over the ball. Let them problem solve that. All too often you'll see a parent or a teacher or somebody will go and say, okay, I've got the ball, now we don't have a fight anymore. But what have we taught them? We've taught them nothing. So sometimes that little argument over a ball may not work out the way you want it to, but maybe you can go in and show them the negotiation skill. Who? You both want the ball? Yes, we both want the ball. Okay, how can we work this out that we both have the ball? And sometimes just through talk, we can teach children how to negotiate and not end the problem, but work through the problem and problem solve with them. And I think the next step to that that we need to be better at is reflecting on how that went. Yeah. Yes. Giving them the time so, yeah. to talk about how did that go? Mm -hmm. How do you feel? You know, did it end the way you wanted to? How did you feel when it was going on? What did you want from this? What did you get from this? Giving them time to process the process, I think, is another step we need to take to really get to this socio-emotional learning. Are we, and this is, this is a, I mean, this is a genuine question. So, you know, I say to parents, by the time your child is 18 months, I want you to have that, that five or 10 minute conversation at bedtime that says, you know, what did we do? To, what did we do today? What was fun? What was hard? Yeah. What was great? What are we looking forward to tomorrow? What I believe that does is first, it's, it's, it's the, it's the emotional comfort. It's the security. It's the stability. It's the same thing that literacy happens because lap time is so Absolutely. amazing. You know, it, it's everything, all learning is relationship based. The science is so very, very clear on that. But what happens when I reflect with a child at 18 months, and now you're talking about at a much higher level, now we are creating meta thinking. We are creating a higher order thinking that says, I can watch myself and reflect and analyze and choose and look at hypothetical thinking. I mean, so while this looks like a simple social emotional thing, it is the deepest kind of thought and reflection that will then change our brain for higher order thinking in literacy, in math, in science, in everything sure. that's to come. Yeah. And so, you let yourself learn to grow. Let yourself learn to grow. I think most parents and I, I think many teachers would benefit from like a workshop or anything on problem solving, you know, those type of things. And I can honestly say that, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses as teachers, as parents. The year I worked with Dorian, she truly taught me how 
to teach children to problem solve. Mm -hmm. I've never seen an educator sit there the way she does, and she will do it for sometimes 10 minutes, depending on whatever happened, how whatever went down. Time and space. She, Time it's and the most space. incredible thing to watch, because I literally, and I said to her, I was like, I'm in awe. Like, the way you just handled that, it was, mm -hmm. and then after that, the two kids hugged, and she did. She self-reflected after, mm -hmm. and she said, do you guys know what just like what just happened? How how did that make you feel? And it was it really was a beautiful thing to watch because you don't you don't see that often. And it was it was something she taught me, and it was something that now I do at home or I do it with my husband. I do it. I mean, I, we all do it. And it's it was such a beautiful thing to watch. And I think that's so important for people to have. And little people, especially, to but have that skill. You need skill. to slow down. Yeah, you need to, to be down. able to do yeah. it. In this fast-paced, yes. collect experiences, yeah. collect everything world, mm -hmm. where everything is product-based, yeah. commodified, we lose track of that time and space. I think we're just so to, quick to be like, oh, okay, everybody, the ball's taken away. Or I need to fix it. Give this person to, a hug. It's I need over. to get out yeah. of my discomfort yeah. as quickly as yeah. possible. And that goes back to the word, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's so overused. So it doesn't overused. make sense. <laughs> it's rote learning. And it's, I'm sorry. Okay, tell them I'm sorry. And, you know, I was that kid, sorry. And we walked away. But now I never ask anyone to say I'm sorry. I always say, tell them how you're going to make it better. Tell them I'm going to use nice hands with you moving forward. Give them what they want. What Give them the positive of what they need to do to be socially um, sound human beings. Don't give them rote learning. Give them real, thoughtful, emotional learning. It's so important. And the one thing that I thought of that really, and I've never thought of it before, but it doesn't matter what religion you are. So many religions bring their children to bed and they pray. And they, and they, and they thank God. And they thank God for the day. But really, what is that? It's self-reflection. It's really going back and saying, you know, you know, thank you, God, for whether it was my food, my friends, my mommy, my daddy. However, whatever your religion is, however you do choose to pray, a lot of it is self-reflection. And, and that could bring in a whole nother podcast. It certainly can. Right? <laughs> but, but really, self-reflection, you know, I go, I, I go to sleep and I don't sleep fast because I think about my day and I self-reflect. Mm -hmm. And um, giving children that opportunity to do it out loud gives them opportunity as adults. To well, really there's the other phrase, that. out loud. How do you make, how, children are very transparent, but how do we give them a, the, the way to express and to make visible what is all, all that inner process and drama and excitement? I'm going to do the wrap-up, so I'm going to read the five essential skills one more time just in summary if there's anything from there that you didn't get to comment on that you'd like to. And the wrap-up is always the same. How have you got this? As parents, as educators, as, as administrators, how are you encouraging and supporting this big, beautiful, social, emotional, intelligence um, world of caring, of empathy, of, of emotions? Um, so the five essential skills are play well with others, learn how to problem solve, how to label and recognize feelings, how to be helpful, how to control impulses. I, I think I'm just going to go back to what I said before, is that I, it's so important to trust the decision you made in terms of school, your teachers, your director, and just trust in that process and trust that you chose this for a reason. So these are the people who are going to help you, help your children, help your family. And 
I, I think that it's it's trust because if your children see that you trust and the projection of your feelings and you and you show them that, then they're going to model their behavior. The little I always say it to my head, like little eyes are always watching. They're always watching what we do. They're always listening to what we say. And I think that if we always keep that in the back of our minds, then you're doing the right thing. You are. You're doing the right thing because I know in my with my own family. The little eyes and ears are always listening and watching, and they, they, re, you know, and we are very, we have become very aware of what we're saying, how we're saying it, how we're framing it, and then, you know, living our lives with it and, and it's the perfect, teaching our children. It's my favorite first wrap-up answer because that's where it all begins. If you're sending, I'm imagining just send parents sending their children off so that they know I am sending you to a place that I believe in, I feel is safe. I have trust for, then your child, it's like it's like a stream that carries them forward and somebody's on the other I side. I truly ready believe to catch that. that. I truly believe so you make that decision, you put that trust in these people, the then power take of it. That is is magnificent. So that really builds, I think what I'm thinking builds on that, which you know, I wrote down the word partnerships, which is invest in the time and the moments for the partnerships, the partnership between you and your child and their emotional learning. Your ch- you know, invest in your child having partnerships with other children. Invest in partnerships with the educators so that the conversations are centered on all these skills all the time. Everything you do is centered around that growth. Thank you, Naomi. And I think what, what, I, what really comes to mind for me is, is um, I, as you know, I'm the director of um, this amazing school and I've done it before I've come to this school. Um, and I've, I've hosted many graduations and I've watched children go from infants through um, pre-K. And when I give my graduation speech, and you'll probably hear it from me here, the one thing I do say when I reflect on these children is, is your children are ready because they can assimilate, they can negotiate, they can regulate. And because we gave them all those skills, they also know their ABCs. They know their one, two, threes, and they they have their academics, and they're going to fly because they got the foundation, we gave them the academics, and they're ready for kindergarten. And so it, it goes hand in hand. You can't have one without the other, and it's very exciting. And, um, and, and our kids are all going to be... So much better than we are because they're getting so much more. They're it's ready a, to learn. It's a better <laughs> world. I, I just want to cry because you guys make me proud to know you particularly and to be an early childhood educator. And I love, I mean, I opened this with you being the most admired group, and you truly are. And I am so looking forward to these these professional partnerships that we have. I <laughs> do. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow, listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey, loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules, you write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to The Front and The Follow for the song listen. 
We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.